I'm recording there. This is a okay. shitty episode for predictions. I honestly as far don't as even, I know. <laughs> I don't even think the stand parts are canon. <laughs> I'm not even if sure. If they are, if Stan's <laughs> fucking evil. I know. Stan's an evil psychopath. This I just know. seems to me like they it was one that came out. I, I bet you this did this come out around like this was Halloween. Their second, this was their second Halloween episode, yeah. Right. So there you go. Yeah. So it's a little because because also Dipper and Mabel would be psychopaths too if that's that was real. <laughs> it would so. be totally out of character for Dipper and Mabel to have to 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 mess with somebody kept a prisoner kidnapped in a case like a customer yeah yeah i uh yeah <laughs> so all right you ready i'm ready what the hell is this oh this is so boring what else is on everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Molinax and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, a mysterious customer arrives at the Mystery Shack and Grunkle Stan tries to get them to buy his wares through three stories. It's time to play What's Canon and What's Not. We're talking about Gravity Falls Little Gift Shop of Horror this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. I'm doing good too. We're getting ready for the holidays. The holidays of being stuck at home and not seeing family. We were just trying to plan our Thanksgiving and we've decided since there's only three of us, instead of getting a big ass turkey, we're just going to get little Cornish game hens. Oh, delicious though. Delicious. They're very delicious. They're one of our special occasion ones and when we get two of them, they can definitely feed the three of us and we usually have some leftover, but... We're thinking about just instead of Oh, drinking. no. Everybody should have their own person. If you have three of you, although they usually come in packs of two. They do. And the other two people eat like birds. They eat so little. Well, l- luckily, they're little birds. Yeah. But it's Thanksgiving because you can actually like, I, I like whenever I make a Cornish game ham, I, I stuff it. I stuff that little bastard. Oh. Just like, yeah, sure. Interesting. I stuff it and I rub it with lemon juice and like Greek spices and then stuff it with stuffing and oh my god. That sounds delicious. Olive oil olive oil and lemon, lots of salt and pepper and um oh I, I wanna say it's fennel, but it's not. You know you know those little it it comes in Italian sausage a lot. It's uh like a a little thin seed. You know what oh, I'm talking about? It's oh, like what are they? Sausage seed. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> um, toasted fennel seeds. Yes, yes. Yum, 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 yum. I was very getting very nervous for half a second uh, typing in sausage seed. <laughs> sausage can... seeds. Yeah, that's that's dangerous on Google. You might want to do a safe search for that one. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. It came up with Italian fennel. So... But we're on Gravity Falls right now, and listeners, you missed it before we started the episode. We were talking about how possibly maybe evil Stan Pine is, possibly very evil. And I think that's what makes this episode so interesting is I don't even know if the Stan parts are canon. Because if they are, then he kidnapped and roofied somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, 
it's yeah i took it as a halloween story and all the stories are told through stan so the only one and i i was i was debating back and forth whether or not to give you this because we are gonna debate i'm gonna debate these as whether they're not as canon um by accepting the stan parts are possibly canon but um the one i will give to you is the hand which is in journal number three i am going to be reading about the hand yeah the hand which seemed like a real character you know the hand which should actually actually never mind i can't tell you right now oh is that one of your predictions maybe all right we'll we'll get there but but overall did you like the episode i did i enjoy i enjoy like goofy episodes like this this one was stuffed full of little background things too that were funny my favorites is stuffed full of little things that i you know just got throwaway gags well are you ready to get into this i am little gift shop of horrors is the 26 episodes of gravity falls and it aired on october 4th 2014 and it was the second uh halloween episode of the series the first one being summerween it was written by alex hirsch Shion Takeuchi, Matt Chapman, and Zach Pies. The director was Steven Sandoval. In the storyboard, artists were Sabrina Katugno, Sunio Hall, and Vaughn Tada. Some extra information for you. The voice of Smart Waddles is astrophysicist, cosmologist, and author Neil deGrasse Tyson. It was driving me nuts because I recognized his voice. I'm like, that's somebody's voice, and I could not figure out who it was, and it's so obvious now that... Now that I know, <laughs> driving me nuts. Not nuts enough to go Google it, but <laughs> yeah. Smart Waddles was originally voiced by founder and co-host of Radio Lab, Jad Oppenrad. Alex Hirsch felt that Oppenrad's voice wasn't right and repeatedly asked Neil deGrasse Tyson, who turned him down several times. Tyson eventually changed his mind and lent his voice after the animation had been finished. Why would you say no? I don't know. I've I've heard mixed things about Tyson. The voice of Harry Claymore is John DiMaggio, who voices Wendy's dad, slash, who is Manly Dan, slash Manly Dan, who is Manly Dan. Harry Claymore and his works are an homage to the real-life animator, director, producer, special effects legend, Ray Harryhausen. The claymation monsters, Skeleton, Cyclops, Gorgon, are references to his film, Jason and the Argonauts, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and Clash of the Titans. Series writer and director Matt Chapman is the voice of the Hand Witch. The title of the episode is a reference to the classic 1960s horror movie and the off-Broadway musical Little Shop of Horrors. This is where I was saying last week that there was an M. Night Shyamalan. No, it was, my, it was last night. In the original twist of the episode, the visiting mysterious tourist was supposed to be revealed to be director M. Night Shyamalan. The claymation segment during Clay Day was animated by Stupid Buddy Studios, Inc., which is best known for providing the animation for the TV series Robot Chicken. Tyler Keatbiker is shown running a stand at the swap meet called Several Chimes, a reference to the boy band Several Times from Boys Crazy, who we know that Tyler is a fan of. The fiery orb which Stan takes from the unnamed traveler in the first story is the Palantir from Lord of the Rings. The hand witch wears a red robe with two large hands depicted in black. This is a color-inverted version of the robe worn by the villainous sorcerer The Master in the low-budget horror film Manos, The Hands of Fate. And finally, when Seuss turns into clay, he resembles the iconic stop-motion character Gumby. 
He also says, Holy Toledo, which was the catchphrase of Gumby's pal, Pokey. Yep, there go two of my notes. Oh, uh, it was the other one, Manos. Lord of the Rings and the, and the Gumby. I've never heard of Manos Hand of Face. So I was like, this is like a weird little bunch of horror movie. Oh, it's one of the most infamously bad movies with his assistant, Torgo. One of the greatest YouTube channels that got shut down had all like drive-in movies and it was called Torgo's Drive-In. And Torgo would, uh, you know, the master wants to talk to you. It became really famous when uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 did a parody of it, you know, a, a voiceover over it that was hilarious and one of their more famous ones. So Manos, Hands of, of what was it, Hands of Fate, became, got a sort of second life through Mystery Science Theater. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> sure, it's on YouTube in reg in regular form in MST3K form, Gumby. If, if have you ever watched Gumby's? I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I yeah. Do those are those are great surrealism for little kids. Arthur Cloakey Studios. Yeah. Well, as always, hope makes Chris watch cartoons is separated into parts. Part one is story themes and character. Part two will be reading from Dipper's journal entry. Then we'll be talking about the ciphers and connections to previous episode. Then Chris will get his speculation and theories corner, and then we'll give our final thoughts. So, Chris, what were your favorite parts? Bat Boy. There was a sighting of the Bat Boy from the Weekly World News. Really? Yes. And he was drawn in the style that Peter Bagg drew him when he did the Bat Boy cart comics for a short period of time in Weekly World News. But yeah, there was a Bat Boy on uh, one of the the merch tables. Oh! I liked the table of with the old lady selling baby parts. And <laughs> I know. The handwitch is reading a magazine called Crone Alone. I have that one too. Crone Alone magazine, witches be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I have that one too. That was a hard one to read too, but I was like, this has got to be good right here. And it was good because it referenced later into her situation. Was that all yours? Yes. So I also had Colonel Owen Magazine, which is be crazy. I just thought the whole hand which makeover sequence. Well, yeah, I can't remember the name of that show, but it's like that that TV show that was uh, it's probably still on where they make over people's houses. There's multiple. Great. That's like half of HGTV yeah. and like Bravo has some and like Netflix has some like it is. Whole makeover shows are a thing, and but I, there's one. It's just like each of them had their own little sign of like what they were doing, and it says, "Stan, he has a hammer." <laughs> I love the line, "Yummy, yummy for my fat little pig tummy," but with Neil deGrasse Tyson's voice. Yes, that was so great. And my favorite line of the episode of, "Those monsters are just tiny clay figures moved around one frame at a time by an antisocial shut-in." Those people are called animators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I laugh every time. I. That's where you know they're just making fun of themselves. So, all right. I figured just going through the part, each of these, since there are three parts, doing it that way. I thought that would probably be the easiest way to do this. But I do have a note beforehand that I feel looking back at the seventeen animated shorts, especially the Dipper's Guide to the Unexplained ones. 
those felt like they were a lot of practice for this episode because those were very much in first person point of view and a good chunk of this episode well i wouldn't say a good chunk you know the in-between parts are from a first person point of view and i felt like that was a really good nod back to the shorts and the practice that they were probably for this episode i would agree so what did you think about hands off it's kind of a, it was at the beginning, kind of a take on the Stephen King book, Thinner. There was an early Oliver Stone written movie called the, I, I don't know if he just wrote it or directed it, called The Hand, about a guy who loses his hand and then his hand goes off and does crimes. There's been a few movies like that. Yeah, you know. like, it, you know, kind of a little bit of Idle Hands. Idle Hands thing in the Adams Family. <laughs> yeah, like there was a lot of like references there. But there's never been just like somebody collecting masses of hands. That was a that, that's a new twist. That was nice, and that the hands just will form anything for her. Yeah, and they're like her friends, and she's like, "You guys give me," and they, you know, like make the Iron Throne. <laughs> I love that we're in a point where Gravity Falls was on for so long that they can make Game of Thrones references. Yeah, I yeah. still love that. I love that at the swap meet, Manly Dan has a shop called. Manly Dan's Acceptable Masculine Collectibles. <laughs> I'd never noticed it before, and when I paused it and I saw it, I laughed so hard. Did you like the story of this one? Yeah, it was good. It was the most sort of, like, standard Gravity Falls story. It was just a condensed, like, sort of standard first season Gravity Falls story. It didn't have as much of the, wa- like so wacky that it's like yeah this is just a made-up thing that this one like canonically i would put this one the most canonical in in the show that feels like it it really happened in gravity falls you know and we have to keep in mind is that we have all of these are being told by stan so each of these three parts are coming from a very unreliable narrator you i'm glad you brought up season one because i have a note about that this feels like a very season one story too even to the point where he's making fun of dipper because dipper's like that sounded like a curse and he's all like that sounded like a curse well there's stories that are ha- that happened a couple months ago a month ago <laughs> you yeah know, they, yeah they probably happened more around season one because there's sto- or, or theoretically and the reason i'm noting this is because we know from season one with something like land before swine Stan, during that time before the kids knew that he knew, he was willing to, like, kind of, like, make excuses for some things because he saw the dinosaurs and he was like, that's not magical, that's just big lizards. And that's kind of how it feels like in this one, he's just like, that's not a magical thing, it's just an old lady, and then he has his hands. The only thing that makes me not think that this is season one, and it's a connection to a previous episode, so I'll get to it, is one of the government agents is in the background of the swap meet, which tells me it has to be after Skirioki. Well, Stan is also having adventures with the kids, too, yeah. so right from the beginning, I was just like, okay, just, that was why I was like, oh, this is not going to be a good one for, for predictions into the future, because this one is just sort of a scary stories around the campfire, so everything's going to be a lie or distorted or mm-hmm. or turned up to 11. I I never took it as as solidly real, you know? It was like we're gonna. It's this. This is gonna be a fun episode. Yeah, I like the part where when Stan is treating them breakfast and the hand witch is talking to him through his watch. He just sticks a pot holder over her to muffle her, and he's just like, <laughs> I like that moment. 
I thought it was cute when Mabel gave her uncle a little hand makeover because that feels like a nice little nod to her shorts as well. Um, I, I felt a lot of, like, maybe because it was three shorts within a bigger episode, I, I felt a lot of, like, callbacks to the shorts in this one. I like the scene where they're fighting the hands, like Mabel doing the rock, paper, scissors, and then the scissors are chasing her. But it's really cool seeing Dipper continue to fight back. That felt very, like, post-fighting Gideon that I think before that moment he would have been like, ah, but he was like, no, come on, hands, and he was, like, punching the crap out of them. If you think about it for a couple of seconds, you're like, yeah, they're just hands. <laughs> what are they going to do, squeeze me? <laughs> we do see a couple, like, are slapping the crap out of Stan. So. Yeah, yeah. But really you only need, oh, this is about to get super dark, you only really need a hand to cover a nose and a mouth. <laughs> That's true. Yep. But what did you think of the hand witch? I liked it. I love her. I love her so much. She just wants love. She just needed a nice renovation show. She's just kind of thirsty and lonely and wants a boyfriend. And plus she has a little nerdy side because she makes an iron throne. But honestly, at the end of the day... I think she actually is kind of perfect for Stan, because they're both complete bullshitters. <laughs> I love that she's just making up stuff, and Dipper's like, you're just making this shit up, and she's just like, yeah, fine, whatever, I'm lonely. <laughs> just trying, yeah. I love her. She, what did she say something like, just trying to get a little action going, or something like yeah, that? Something like that, like, like trying a little dialogue, something going here. I love her. Story-wise, like, this one's my favorite. Um, I think Clay Day is a very, very, very close second, because Clay Day is just beautiful on a technical standpoint, and it's a really cool story. But, like, story-wise, this one's my favorite of the three. Like, I, I just love yeah, this story. one has the most developed story. This one has is, like, really sort of a story where the other ones are just uh, more, more or less gags, you know? All right, so here's the question. Do you think it's canon or not, and why? Yeah, it might as well be. It seems like a reasonable and not distorted story. I would I would put this one as the most reasonable canonic story in all of this. I think so too. And this was before I knew that the hand witch was in journal number three. I, I used to think about of all of them, this is the most canonical one. I don't think all the details are probably accurate because we have to always remember this is Stan telling the story. But we also, as soon as his story is done, we see the hand crawling around afterwards in the shack. So, what is that weird orifice creature that he has right at the beginning? That's just yeah, I know. Too many orifices for you? What All is right, it? let's move on. Uh, uh. It's, very, it's very Lovecraftian, John Carpenter's The Thing type of thing. But did you have anything else for hands off? No. So next we have A Baconing, <laughs> which is just a fun title, A Baconing. What did you think of A Baconing? This is my least favorite of the three, but that's not saying it's bad. It's another redo of the famous Flowers for Algernon story about... I don't know if he was supposed to be, like, mentally handicapped or whatever, but a, a very simple, not-too-bright guy that they do an experiment on, and he becomes very intelligent and falls in love with a doctor. But it wears off, you know. He goes from being very insightful and genius to being just the same old simple guy. Futurama and Simpsons did plays on this too. Gravity Falls Web's wiki has a possible allusion section, which is broken down by episode and what these could possibly be alluding to, and one is the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. Because there's not like a firm reference of like, yes, this was based on Treehouse of Horrors. Alex Hirsch confirmed it. Um, I didn't put it in there, but that is one of the possible speculations that this is also an odd to that. 
Yeah, but I wouldn't say that. Is I'm I'm sure it was influenced by that, but I don't know if it's a, a, as much of a because because Treehouse of Horror is is a nod to horror comics, horror you know horror anthologies. You know, like Creepshow. Well, this like, is kind can... of that, too, because we're even just debating even if the stand parts are, are horror. Or, or, sorry, canon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a horror anthology with Stan as the linking element. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a very it's a very standard way to, 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 to lash a few horror stories together. You know, com- comic books did it. Creepshow, the movie Creepshow was a reference to that. And I just, I just thought it was hilarious that when they they sent dipper out for psychedelic mushrooms and i was like oh no is dipper gonna go on a mushroom trip this is pretty crazy for a kid show but i noticed they made sure that he didn't eat the mushrooms he was supposed to rub them on his head the pig ate the mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) this one is the one i'm gonna say is the least canonical I think so, too, because Stan says before the story of, even starts, he's like, here's a story that I'm making up, a baconing. <laughs> he says it right from the start. Right, because what, what, what would your, what would your, besides that, what would your reason be? I wonder if we have the same reason. My reason is, is that I don't think this one, here's, okay, I have a tinfoil hat speculation. The opening section to this would get before the, the a baconing even started, makes me think that these stand bits are also not canon at all, because after Land Before Swine, I cannot see Stan being well, willing to sell Waddles, because he knows that Waddles means so much to Mabel. But the tinfoil hat aspect of this, of this is, what if this is set somehow before Land Before Swine? Because that would make Stan making fun of Dipper at the swap meet fit the season one narrative, except the agent in the background, which makes it not fit that. So my tinfoil hat speculation is this is possibly set for Land Force Wine, but I don't actually believe that at all. Um, I just, my, my thing of saying that this isn't canon is Stan flat out says, I am making this up. <laughs> and that's how I know. My call on it not being canon is Mabel is completely out of char- character. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, her making, her guilting a pig that could save the world for her own selfishness is a lesson that has been gone over with her and Dipper over mm. and over and over and over again. So she's, it's just totally out of character for her to be like. Even with her being 12. Right, but she's gone through this that that mental process like three or four times in the show so far of having to having to give up something because it's being selfish and it's better for the you know which again goes back to stan telling the story is this is how he thinks a 12 year old girl would probably act right right it was everything was done just to do the story and they would have had that big brain machine anyway even (laughs) that waddle so yeah. What did you think of Smart Waddles? I liked him because they could have gone the obvious thing where he went evil or he was becomes like depressed because he's so smart, but he was just like no, he was he was he was Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> but still a pig because he has yeah, to and, eat but potatoes. He was he was also but they showed that he became bright brighter but he also seemed to be like, you know, he was just like, you know, Mabel, I, I understand how you feel. You know, he was he was just all around like an, a, a more evolved 
pig. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I love my favorite part probably of this section is where he's typing on his little speaker and Gompers the coat comes up and starts chewing on it. And the moment he turns away from the speaker, he still just screams like a pig because he can't talk without his little thing. So he's just like, yeah. just a moment, please. Rah! Rah! <laughs> I like that he shoots one missile at him and he runs away and then he's like, oh, and then he shoots like four more afterwards. And that they're Nerf missiles. They're not even yeah. just foam Nerf missiles and they're cute. My only other note is Grinda, my girl. I love Grinda. She's my girl. I totally get her thirst. She gets a rocket pack, and she doesn't even want to get her kite. She wants to go look at cute boys. And Grinda, girl, I feel you. You're my girl. So, <laughs> I love how they've just, like, upped Grinda's thirst since boy crazy. <laughs> She's just the always the one that's just like, take off your shirt. We're all thinking about that, right? <laughs> I love her. <laughs> so... We've agreed. Not canon. No, no. You can't see me. I'm thumbs downing right now. Thumbs down. All right. Clay Day? Could be canon. They could go either way. This one is just pure goofiness for the fun of doing some claymation. I like the fact Mabel is irrationally afraid of claymation. But apparently that's a thing. Like I was No, like- I, I would say that's what I'm saying. That I That's... The thing about irrational fears is there's probably people who, who claymation just freaks them out. It's its own thing. So whenever something is so like stands out like that, it, it it's going to freak somebody out. Cause you see it like if you saw that, some of that Harryhausen stuff with a little, as a little kid, it's freaky. I, I do. Yeah. Like I remember I have no idea what it's from. I don't know where it came from. But I remember my my sister watching a movie like that, and I distinctly remember claymation octopuses, like tentacles, and there are there were teenagers trapped in them screaming, and it scared yep. me. And I, I still to this day I don't know what it's from, but I very distinctly remember that. I want to say it's ten thousand miles from Earth or something like that, or fifty thousand miles from Earth or something and like I, that. But... I feel like they were like in. I know that I, I can see the scene you're talking like, about. Like a, they were in like a theater or something? Like they were in a building and it was coming out of the floor. That sounds like you're getting it mixed up with the blob a little bit. Maybe, maybe because I, I was very little, but I remember it. I here you go. Thanks, Gravity Fall Wikipedia. Mabel has lutumtophobia, a fear of claymation and stop motion animation. Lutumtophobia. <laughs> The, the, my tell on this one, I think this one could be canon possibly up to the end and only because Seuss is still not Gumby anymore. Right, right. That's, that's right. the tell, but that could be though because he could still be, he could just be assuming Seuss form, but he would still be green and Gumby like. <laughs> and, and that could now, and keep in mind, Stan is also the one telling the story. So that could be a flourish of Stan at the end. Well, yeah, well, well, Gumby would be something from Stan's time period, too, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. he could just be like, and then at the end, my handyman became Gumby, and I killed him with a chair, and then Seuss would come in and just be like, oh, hey, Grunkle Stan, and be like, get out of here, Seuss, you're ruining my story. <laughs> the other thing that makes me wonder about this one is the cryptograms for this episode. The, and now in season two, every cryptogram has a key, a word key, and the word key was found in this short, and the word key for this this one was non-canon which is the key to unlock all the ciphers of this episode 
Okay. So that makes me wonder if it's just about this one specifically or if it's about the entire episode. It could be either way. Yeah. Let's actually talk about Clay Day, though. It's a gorgeous achievement mixing the claymation with the 2D animation. And if I was reading correctly, this is the only episode that actually uses hand-drawn animation for the episode. And I think they actually had to hand-draw some of the mixed scenes. Yeah, they, they look like it. They look like it. Yeah. The, especially the one where Mabel is jumping into the monster. She looks distinctly different than how she normally looks. And yes. that has to be hand-drawn animation. Did you like the claymation? I always like claymation. I've done claymation before in film school, so what was one of the highlights of my film school was finally having the equipment to sit sit around and sitting around in my friend's apartment for hours and hours to make a maybe two minutes at the most, two or three minute animation and we did a combination of we we drew stuff on a chalkboard we moved some solid things around and we did some claymation and it took forever and it was crude (laughs) and it didn't look that good but that was like awesome to do something i'd always wanted to do and probably wouldn't want to do for a living (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean honestly the fight scene is probably the highlight of this episode it's it's so cool and it's unique and I love all the little animation jokes that they throw in here because it's just the animators poking fun at themselves and at their industry and just like little things like I love when the Cyclops is looking at the newspaper clipping about computer animation and the image looks horrible but it's like it looks so real and the clay figures yeah, are it's like a guy oh. eating a, it's like a guy eating a clip art cookie. Yeah, and like the clay figure, it's like, there's no heart! Like, there's so, like, I was actually just reading, uh, I started following this wonderful Twitter account, which posts bad animation takes from people on the internet, and one of the bad animation takes are just like, oh, digital art has no heart anymore, they have to only be 2D animation, and like, that was the first thing I thought of, was just like, do you not understand the work that goes into digital art? <laughs> Like, come on, I was I was lucky enough to see Ray Harryhausen in person before he died. <gasps> no way! Yeah, he appeared at the Eastman Museum. I literally like left my house and just took a little stroll over and saw Ray Harryhausen, and it cost five bucks to get in. It was amazing. He had all, not all, but he had a lot of his iconic, you know, models that he did, you know, from the fifties and stuff. And from the 80s, from uh, whatchamacallit. Um, Movies? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the specific movie. You mentioned it in the beginning. I can just scroll. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. He had, he had the Kraken from Clash of the Titans. And he was just a great old guy full of awesome stories. And he was remarkably not c- cynical and angry about... Com- CG. Everybody was asking him about CG and wanting him to trash it, and he was just like, if I would have had CG when I was younger, I would have been trying it out. He's like, that's what the movies do. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. come up with a a new thing, and he's like, I would just be doing what I was doing in CG if if I was around at this time. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You always have the best stories. (laughs) 
It's what happens when you get to be an old guy. <laughs> my, my buddy, Mark Perez, who I was on a, the Queer Roundtable with Pink Milk with, um, he also has a Star Trek podcast called Taking a Number Two. Um, and he's actually going to, has volunteered to be one of our guests for Star Wars Resistance, so you're going to meet him eventually. He He always has these stories. He's just like, yeah, I just happened to meet this one friend of mine, and she was like, hey, you want to go up to... Lucasfilm's ranch, and he was like, "Yes." <laughs> so he got to go to Lucasfilm and tour with his friend because she just happened to be doing like some project. And then he'd be—he was talking about how he went to a club, and Dave Filoni just happened to be at this club, and he was like, "Wow, Dave Filoni!" And he—he's one of those guys who just like happens to like walk into all these awesome situations, and we're just like, "How? How? How do you do this?" Because he's how? going out and going to clubs and stuff. That's—I mean. In my in my twenties and thirties, when I was in a band, I was in a band, and I was w- working at uh, catering jobs that put me backstage, uh, you know, and, and go going out and stuff. And you just when you do stuff like that, you just meet people, you know. You're out doing stuff. Yeah, I I, I used to kind of be like that when I used to work in the mall because when the mall in Georgia first opened, it was like the biggest mall of the south and blah 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 so like a lot of it drew like a lot of people so you know we would have occasionally have people walk into our store probably the only time i actually ever actively ran into somebody while i was just out in the ballot i was at like a burrito shop like five minutes from my house and jill wagner from teen wolf when she was still filming teen wolf happened to be there and i kind of stopped and i was like are aren't you aren't you Kate Argent on Teen Wolf? And she was like, yeah, I am. And I was like, hi. <laughs> she was like, hi. And she was really nice. And I was, cool. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Jill Wagner. It was, uh, it was Addie Mays. Um, I ran into Addie Mays and I was just like, oh, well, you're Addie Mays. What's up? And she was like, yeah, I'm Addie Mays. And I was like, oh my God, can I have like a photo up with you she's like yeah sure so we took a photo and then i was like okay well enjoy your burrito and i walked away and i was like oh my god <laughs> like that was the only time i've actually like actively ran into somebody that you know like wasn't at dragon con or something because at dragon con you'd be like oh hey look there's like so-and-so walking across the street so <laughs> you know going back to clay day i like the kind of mini lesson i think that's a nice little mini lesson that kids need to know is like you know turning fears into something productive and happy i just, i think that's a nice little mini lesson the only other thing i have from this is probably the number one line from all of gravity falls that i quote more than anything else is from this episode and it's when they're all watching the clay fight at the end and they're is watching- it, is, oh my god okay is it i might have this written down too what is it when, when they're watching the shadows and Harry Claymore goes, Yay! That was the best part. I thought you were going to say it's clayback time. No, 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 no. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I often just go, Hey, that was the best part. And I say just like that in his tone and cadence of this, like, Yay! <laughs> That's the number one line of all of Gravity Falls that I quote, because I always just go, Oh, that was the best part. <laughs> And sometimes I'll be like, yay. <laughs> I just love that. And I love the part at the end where, like, the scorpion just comes in at the end and just tackles everything. <laughs> we never got to see the scorpion because that was probably too expensive. Yep, but, yep. Just do the shadows. Did you have anything about Clayton? Not anything else. That was about it. 
So Stan roofies and kidnaps a dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the part, and I, I'm, I'm only just touching on this again because we were talking beforehand, and I don't know if we said this in the episode. That's the part that makes me feel like this entire episode is not canon. Yeah. Mabel and Dipper psychologically torture a kidnapped customer. So, yeah, it's it's obviously just being being dark and uh and Halloweeny. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, if it and if it is, that makes me just go uh <laughs> stand. But I I like that they acknowledge it cuz like That's what Halloween is about. It's about going a little you got like gravity falls kidnapping. if they're going to be Halloween, they have to go a little like their last Halloween episode, Seuss ate his way out of the, the, the monster's gullet. So it's Gravity Falls, so you got to up the ante a little bit for Halloween, you know? I it's like that they, they acknowledge it, though, because as soon as he does it, Stan goes, That's right, I'm a jerk! <laughs> like, yep. like, they acknowledge it, like, this is not cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the last note I have for this is I, I started thinking about this and I, I think this is a really nice, sneaky, Mabel-centric episode. And even though it's all told from Stan's point of view. Because the Hand Witch gets her renovation because of Mabel. The Smart Waddle story is about Mabel coping with maybe losing Waddles and their friendship. And the Claymation one is about her overcoming her fears. And I, I like that. Like, if, when you actually really think about it, this is more of a Mabel episode. Yeah, Dipper does, Dipper just sort of goes through like his standard Dipper beats. Yeah. But like not even mainly, just as kind of side gags. But I think what makes this kind of like extra telling is we remember that Stan is telling these stories. So Stan is telling the stories in a Mabel-centric episode, which says a lot about their relationship, that he's the one telling these stories about his niece. And I, I, I think that's kind of charming, of course, in a dark way because of the, the nature of the episode. But he's the one that's going, let me tell you about the time that my, my niece helped this woman and this old witch. Let me tell you about this time where my, well, make up a story about my niece losing her pig. Let me tell you the story about my niece overcoming her fears. And I think that's really lovely, like, in a way, because that shows, like, how much he cares for her, because he he's not telling these stories about Dipper, he's telling these stories about Mabel. And I think that's kind of sweet. Although the pig story doesn't put Mabel in the most glowing light ever. She's kind of she's kind of the foil of that story. I kind of like that one though because that would be the concern of a twelve year old. A twelve year old wouldn't care about you know saving the world. They would care about losing their friend. So I think on that one we have to remember Mabel's age. Well, I mean, yeah, but you know, like yeah. I said before, you know, I don't think she would have actually done that like after the first season or whatever. I, I don't know if they necessarily even were like, let's focus on Mabel, or it just became... Mabel Mabel is more, like, for this kind of story, she's more useful as a story element than Dipper, because Dipper's a, like, solve-a-mystery intellect guy. And Mabel's the people person. Right. These are fun... These are just fun character study, goofy stories, and you don't need Dipper, like, solving them or anything. So that he just sort of is off to the side, like, I'm going to solve this and, like, playing with his his version of the Rubik's Cube type thing. So, which I thought was going to be a Hellraiser type thing. And, like, when he solved it, it, like, summoned a demon or something. But it was just a, a red herring. I like that it's called the what a, the what a hecahedron. <laughs> yeah. And the little nod of, like, oh, that's false advertisement that I can get behind. <laughs> that's another great line. So my last note is 
this episode is a lot like Bottomless Pit. So which of these yeah. do you like better, Bottomless Pit or this one? I think I like this one a little better than Bottomless Pit, but I like them both. But th- this this one was this one was a little little more cohesive, maybe I don't know, but I, I just liked it better. But Bottomless Pit was like sort of like let's have a fun episode and and use up some story ideas that were that we didn't get a chance to do or weren't enough for a whole show. And this one feels more tied together as a Halloween horror story one. I think I like this one better is because I think it shows their growth since Bottomless Pit. It's the exact same. And that was kind of actually why I didn't tell you about because b- before we recorded Bottomless Pit, I was like, you know, we're going to break this one up and I kind of prepped you for it. But I didn't prep you for this one. And I liked this one because I feel like this shows their growth since then. While while the story of Bottomless Pit are fun, this actually feels like there's growth in the characters, the storytelling is in a different place. And then we also have the technical elements, like the claymation. Like, this felt like a flex. Like, they, they were just flexing the whole yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I like that one, too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I feel like this was just them saying, like, look where, where we were, look where we have come, and look at our claymation that was probably really expensive. <laughs> Which they actually noticed and noted in show where they were like, this fight is amazing and probably very expensive. Yes, very expensive. <laughs> Did you have any other notes for this episode? No. All right. No, ma'am. So, moving on to Dipper's journal entry, I do wanted to make a note because I, I, I waited to bring up this note because I didn't want it to affect your whether or not it was canon rule. In the real life journal number three that I'm about to read from, there's actually no page for the Persephone shrooms, which suggests that Stan was actually making up that story in Awakenings. Because there's yeah, no. I would also, I would also be afraid to put that in a book for kids. Yeah. <laughs> Persephone shrooms. Persephone shrooms sounds too much like like advocating drug use. I would, I would be, I would be, I would be extremely sketchy on putting that in a book and having parents complain. <laughs> Especially the kind of parents who like whose kids are watching Gravity Falls probably have had their own perceptual shrooms experiences. So <laughs> it, might, it might not slide that one by, you know. And the um, parents who were watching Gravity Falls who didn't approve of everything, like the million, the one million mom assholes or whatever, who were just like, we don't want lesbians in this show. We don't want lesbians tripping on mushrooms. No. Even though we experimented in college with both. <laughs> High five. A hundred percent they did. All right. So the entry from Dipper's journal, there's actually not one from Dipper's point of view, which again makes me think that the stand half of this episode was made up. But I'm going to be reading from the author's point of view. And from the author's point of view... It's about how he met, uh, met the Hand Witch. I'm actually going to be taking this one slowly because I'm avoiding spoilers left and right, so I'm going to have to take this one a little bit slower. So, in this one, the author goes to a carnival. He's wanting to go to a carnival, and it says, Fortunately, I read in the newspaper that Mama's Misfortune Traveling Carnival and Freak Show was in town for the day. Although I loathe nipple grubbing circuses and sideshows, I've 
Learn that every so often there's something real mixed in with the fakes that is worth studying. This means new discoveries for me. And then on the next page it says, My excitement turned out to be short-lived. First, the first beast I encountered at the fair was literally a chicken duct taped to a silverback gorilla. And a plaque called it Gurikin. There was no explanation for the wizard hat it wore. Merely a sign that read, cash only. Shockingly, the townsfolk seemed delighted, and I could barely get past the throng to the front of the line. This town has the most gullible people on earth. Someone with no ethics can make money hand over fist in Gravity Falls. And then it has a picture of a crab duct taped to a rabbit, and underneath it says, Crabbit. <laughs> Which moves us on to the palm reader. I noticed a palm reader sign and was galled to see how long the line was to this obvious charade. The dim in intellect of the citizens of this town continues to astound. I pondered to how gratifying it would be to publicly expose such a charlatan and realized that I had a rare opportunity. Surely this palm reader had never seen a six-figured hand like mine. She likely would be so stumped by my extra digit that I could expose her for the fraud she was. I walked into the darkly lit tent, smelling of incense. A strange, graveled crone waited at a rickety table. She seemed to have collections of severed hands in a cage, but it may have been the light playing tricks on me. When I sat down, she quickly grabbed my hand and said, What took you so long, Sixer? I felt a chill run down my back. Before I could muster a response, she opened a pack of tarot cards and lined them up on the table. And the first tarot card, um, they don't have words, but it has a picture of mountains and trees. The second one is a snake crawling through a triangle. The next one is a woman who's blindfolded holding two swords, and the other one... The final one is a skull. When she saw the results, she shrieked and looked at me with great, with great and pained sympathy. And she said, Someone very close to you is deceiving you. You have chosen the wrong ally. You will live two lives and both of them too short, unless you change now. And she handed me a strange blue ring. And she said, When this is blue, you may pull through. When this is black, you can't turn back. I told the psychic to skip the rhymes and get to the palm reading. I had already felt uncomfortable enough and was looking forward to getting out of there. With a sigh, she got to it. And it's a picture of the author's hand and it says, Trigger fingers. She said I need to think before I shoot. Short relationship lines. She said, No one wants to hold a rose with too many thorns. I never understood poetry, to be honest. And then it says, The long wisdom line. She claimed I was too smart for my own good. Personally, I took this as a compliment. A broken lifeline. She said that my lifeline seemed to end abruptly and to start again sometimes later. Clearly, this is an inexact science. The crossroad lines. Apparently, I would have to make a choice very soon. And if I chose wrong, I will never be myself again. <laughs> Perfectly sane life advice from a lady who lives with traveling wagons full of severed hands. She also says that my extra finger did indeed make me special, but that if I wasn't going to be doing anything later, maybe she could get some drinks with me. She was flirting with me! I clenched it. I grabbed my things and got the heck out of there. Clearly breathing incense for 50 years have damaged her brain.
And that is different. Well, the author's definitely showing up. (laughs) So maybe there is something in your predictions. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I wanted to kind of switch these around. So for ciphers and connections to previous episodes, I have mentioned the connection to the previous episode is the agents from Scaryoki return. Agent Powers can appear, can be seen walking in the background of the Gravity Falls swap meet while in the same, uh, the same one with the Handwich. When they're in the bowling alley, Agent Trigger can be seen in the background of the bowling alley. And there are two cryptograms this week. The first one is at the end credits, and once it's deciphered, it reads, Check out Dr. Waddle's latest book, A Brief History of Oink, 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 Oink. And the other one is the flashing page cryptogram at the end, and it reads, All animation is black magic. So what's your theories and speculations, Chris? I know this one might be tough, which is, I you might have just gotten well, a nice gem from Dipper's Journal. <laughs> Originally, yeah, I mean, that basically was saying that he got, that was 30 years ago, he got his lifeline cut off and then it'll come back for a short period of time sometime here in season two. But I I was basically, my prediction was, well, we'll probably have a meaty episode next episode. (laughs) But uh, now I got one. I got one. I think McGucket, I think McGucket and the Handwich are going to hook up. It would be the perfect, it would be the perfect couple. Yes, I support this one. Okay. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry if I just gave that one away. You took me off guard. Usually I prepare for this section. <laughs> They'd be so cute. They'd be, have like raccoon lines. They'd like... be the perfect couple. Oh, they even kind of look alike. Oh my god, they would. Oh my god, they'd be precious together. Oh my god. I am spoiling your prediction, but it's just so precious. I love it. <laughs> you know, I'll give you one more, too. Yes, next week is a meaty episode. <laughs> I will give you that one, too. Speaking of meaty thing, well, that didn't come out right. I didn't have a segue there. Speaking of... Hey, patrons, I don't have a good segue. <laughs> Hi, guys. So, hey patrons, you are meat and potatoes. Yeah, you are. So, I do want to take a moment to thank my lovely patrons. You guys are the best. I'm very thankful for you guys. Um, I know this is going to be coming after oh, after Thanksgiving, but I'm super duper thankful for you guys and I love you so much. Oh my god. You um, are turkey and potatoes. And stuffing and dressing and giblet gravy, which I love. I love. You are Cornish game hen and stuffing. I actually just got into a conversation the other day where my friend was like, brown gravy is gross. And I was like, haven't you ever had giblet gravy? And she was like, that sounds gross. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) How dare you? And I, you guys are also my green beans, which I take, when I make them correctly, I take two whole days to make them. And they're delicious. Yes. When I go all out and make Thanksgiving slash Christmas green beans, they take two days to make. And you guys are my two days to make green beans. The hint is to make the broth, and you want them to sit in the broth overnight, so they absorb that flavor. So you have to get your broth right before you ever put a single green bean into the broth. And then you cook them down in southern style, so you pretty much like cook them down into soft, delicious boilness, and then you let them sit in there overnight, and then the next day you just 
slowly heat them back up and if you need some more time you just boil it down add water boil it down add water until you're ready to eat it and you boil it down the last time so there's barely any water left and you eat them what do you call it what do you call it when you slice them really thin i can't remember what the term is for that julian no that's not it but that's like i i like to slice them lengthwise really thin and toss them in oil and spices and bake them in the oven i do that too i I, I do that too uh i will toss them in um olive oil with some salt and pepper and sometimes some smoked paprika and some spices but in the last like two minutes you take your green beans out and then you put some shredded parmesan on top and then you put it back in for the last few minutes so that parmesan (laughs) yeah that would be good (laughs) and then it browns right on top of there so yes that's how. Yeah, that's... I, I I like it when they get cooked to to where the tips of them, like the thinnest parts, start getting a little black. You know. Mm-hmm. I don't like them quite that far. I still like them to be have that little bit of crisp to them. So, but yeah, that's you guys. You guys are my two day green beans and possibly Parmesan covered green beans. And now mm. we just gave you some of those. You so, play your cards right. <laughs> so I would love to thank Lynn, Billy, Heather, Brian, Jean. Patrick, Bree, Alex, and Kate. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We love you guys so much. And thank you for everything. And I I adore you guys. Thank you. And let's go into 2021. All right, Chris. What are your final thoughts of the episode? I liked it a lot. It was just it was just a bunch. It was just fun. Much like the short films and the, the bottomless pit. Yeah. It's a little a little demented around the edges. Yeah, I, I think it's a flux of an episode. Uh, the writing shows how far they've grown since Bottomless Pit. Um, and there's just, it's a lot of fun. They use different stories, techniques, mixing mediums of animation art together. It's it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I like Little Gift Shop of Horrors. It's a good one. I love the hand witch. She just wants love, and now I don't want, to want her and McGucket to meet because they'd be so wonderful together. Anyway. All those hands must have been a pain in the ass to animate, too. You know, that's the beauty, like, that's where I bet they probably did a few and then just, like, I don't want to say copied and paste, but probably reused a lot of the same animation models. Yeah, but they were doing stuff like forming into the shapes of things, too. That was not... Yeah, probably, like, the background hands were probably, like, a lot of just using the same animation models, but, like, the ones that, like, were doing rock, paper, scissors and just kind of popping along. Yeah, definitely a flex on their part. Which sometimes is really tough, and that's actually something I would I actually wonder about this episode is this late in the season. I wonder what their budget was like because we know it was only they they knew it was only two seri- uh, seasons going into this, so it makes me want to wonder what how either they really pushed to get more budget, or Disney was just after the success of season one they just threw all the money at them, and then Alex Hirsch was like, "Thanks, we're ending this season. Thanks for your money." <laughs> like, yeah. I'm wondering how that worked out because. I say this knowing knowledge of the rest of the season, so <laughs> this is definitely a, a big old flex for the last season of a show. Anyway, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That is our podcast network, stocked full of co- podcasts, and if you like this podcast, there's another podcast with me and Hope on there doing more cartoons, but we're doing Star Wars cartoons. And by now we're doing, we're, we're probably into, uh, we are definitely into, uh, resistance. By this time, yeah. By this time, yeah. 
And uh, that's at twotruefreaks.com. We're also on Facebook at the Two True Freaks Podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. And on Twitter, run by the apparently infinitely energy stuffed Gene Gene, the podcast machine. Gene Gene, the podcast machine! And that's where they can find me. Where can they find you? <laughs> I love like, the, the long moment of silence there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Anyway, you can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is, of course, the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I always talk about my patrons, and you can also follow at patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. My Twitter is at Hope Molinax, and as Chris said, we have another podcast called J Guys and Jedi, and you can follow us on Twitter at J Guys and Jedi if you want. And if you want to help support the show, I have two online stores. One is my Etsy shop, and the other one is my Redbubble. The best way to find that is Go to geekygirlexperience.com, and at the very top, there's a button that says Shops. And you click on that, and all the information is there. And we got some Waddle stuff. We got I got Pokemon Star Wars stuff. I got Owl House items. Um, gosh, what else do I have? I have several Owl House items. I'm actually thinking, between you and me, Chris, because I saw this today, and I think this would make a hilarious shirt. A shirt that says, Manly Dan's Acceptable Masculine Collectibles. <laughs> Ooh, that is a good one, yeah. And I saw that, and I was looking at the sign, and I was like, I think I could actually make that sign. <laughs> I think I could actually draw that. So, yeah. And you can find all that on my website. Well, you want to know the title of next week's episode? Sure. And we've been building up to this one, and we've been hinting at it, and I've been trying to get you to catch these bird crumbs, and I don't know if I've had it yet, but the, ne- the title of next week's episode is... Society of the Blind Eye. Oh, good, good. Good, we need a secret society in here. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of connections to previous episodes next week. Yeah. I'm very excited for you. I can finally start, like, I'm, I'm, I'm debating how much of uh, journal entries I want to go back and, like, kind of touch on again. <laughs> because there's, like, this one, like the one I read tonight. I couldn't read part of it because... It has ties to next week's episode. (laughs) All right, you guys. Big one next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. We love you. Bye.